Herodotus. And now Paul is going to go into what remains of the book, and he's going to do a warning for the Philippians. He's going to warn them about some that may be infiltrating into the church with a counterfeit righteousness. So we're going to start seeing that chapter 3 um, and what remains of the book. So if you are able to stand, please turn to Philippians 3. And we're going to read the first three verses. Philippians 3. Rejoice in the Lord. To you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those for we are circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Is it something that we take or is it something that we receive? The subtitle for the sermon, I would say, is Faith and Joy is the prerequisite for that type of righteousness that God commands us to have. Faith and Joy is a prerequisite. So the book of Philippians is a book in which Paul has already commended the Philippians for their faithfulness to the gospel. He has pointed them to the example of the ultimate role model of what a humble servant looks like. That was Jesus. Jesus came, he endured the pain of the cross so that we may have a path to rest with God the Father. He then put to example of those that are disciples. Disciples, those are human beings like you and I are, and pointing to them, saying, This is of disciples, followers of Jesus, that have followed a righteous path. Start to look to them for that Here in chapter 3, we see that Paul starts to wrap up the letter. This sort of went for those of us that have been in a flight before. What the pilot announces is that. They're about to start sending You've been in the air for a while, and the nation that you're going to is coming up. So now you need to start sending out. Kind of the analogy he's going to start wrapping up his letter. And before he gives a warning, he's going to have joy. The warning, though, to go into has to do with. The gospel having the danger of being counterfeited. It looks like good news, but actually, it appears to be news from those that are being trying to be persuasive and deceiving that you can say you're a Christian and have faith in Christ, but you need other things. You want to do what? So today, before we look at that warning, we're going to look at the issue of the man to rejoice. Okay? In order for us to really understand what true righteousness is counterfeit righteousness. So this portion of scripture 
divided into two parts. And in those two parts, we're going to see the following three points. First, Paul is in the Lord. That's what we'll be Secondly, Paul is warning against counterfeit. And thirdly, we're going to see some characteristics of what Today, we'll the first one to rejoice in the Lord. Something to consider as we explore this topic today is some self reflections and questions to reflect on our lives. And that would be what is gladness from? What is my joy dependent? Am I trending being joyful because of those things that are counted in Christ? Or do I tend to be joyful depending on others? It's very important, right? Nevertheless, we shall see where our spirit, our attitude, our mind, our heart, in order to find fulfillment in God. Okay? So let's take a look at that first. I need to rejoice in the Lord. The first verse we read today in Scripture says, Philippians 3 1, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you. So I can help but notice that here Paul, starting verse 3, says, finally. Now, mind you, Paul said, and nearly half of his letter, right? Reminded me of a classic example with me asking that from my third or wife. Like, hey, can you tell me how you think sermon went? But not to complain. Don't say finally, or don't say say in conclusion that you still have that I think I've been guilty of that many uh, times please forgive me if I'm becoming more mindful of that so we show me grace in that but nevertheless here when Paul says finally the word there in the Greek is meaning what grace I still have to tell you in the context of this letter, it would be the remaining thing I have to say to you is about this. That's what the word actually means in this context. And Paul puts this what he's going to deliver next to the Philippians before he goes to this warning. He puts out a short parenthesis. So we'll see why this fits. In the first verse 1, is to tell them to Paul is acknowledging that Paul is not oblivious to the fact that he's repeating some things. And not only to the letter to the Philippians, but also to see that this is a constant thing. So let's take a look at what 
rejoice in the Lord. This is like a man from scripture. What is that? He needs to be glad. It does be right? Gladful, happy. But it's necessary to be happy in order to be joyful. Alexa, theologian, has a good definition of political choice, and I'll read it to you. The sense or state of gladness relates to the relationship with God. And through good well, no, it's more than just emotion, but rather it's the result of choice. And we cannot take this choice if we don't have the tools, we have the mindset in order to be able to choose joy. So we must know that joy, first of all, is in the presence of First Chronicles him. Strength and joy are in. We see that being joyful, having a joy, is about being able to come before a holy and righteous God. That's where true joy originates. Secondly, we know from the New Testament that joy is part of of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Virtues, fruit of the Spirit. Among the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And then we are reminded that a believer, the Christian, should always rejoice. Several uh, scriptures tell us that, but we'll look at just one, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, which is also one of the shortest verses in the Bible. It just says, rejoice always. Rejoice. When it comes to joy, to rejoice. When? Always. So that we see this prevalent theme of having joy or rejoice. Rejoicing in the book of Philippians itself. It's one of, if not the major theme in Philippians. We'll do a quick recap over Paul mentions. Philippians 1.4, Paul says that he prays with joy. Philippians 1.18, it says that he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed among the Philippians. Philippians 1.25 says that while living on earth, the Philippians should experience joy in the faith. Philippians 2.2, Paul asked the Philippians to complete his joy. Philippians 2.17 and 18, he tells the Philippians again to rejoice, and he rejoices with the Philippians. 2.28, he sends the Paphroditus so that the Philippians might rejoice. Philippians 2.29, it says that they should receive the Paphroditus with joy. Philippians 3.1 says that the Philippians should rejoice in the Lord, as we're dealing with today. Philippians 4.1 says that the church of Philippi is Paul's joy. Philippians 4.4 tells Philippians twice to rejoice in the Lord. And then finally, Philippians 4.10, Paul says that he rejoiced in the Lord 
had the Philippians concerned for him. So we see that the book of Philippians is saturated with joy. And what Paul's building to there in Philippians 4 is to tell them that when they have this type of joy in the Lord, because of what God has done, then they will experience what? The peace that surpasses all understanding. That is not possible unless God produces that in us. So then we're going to take a look at four concepts of joy that the scripture gives us here. Joy concept number one says that we can have joy or we can rejoice regardless of circumstance. That is contrary to our nature. Because if we think about it, when we think of rejoicing and being happy and being glad, we typically relate that to a positive experience. Like seeing a relative graduate, uh, attending the wedding of a loved one, right? Seeing our children excel in academics. Granted, all those things are very important. We should be joyful for those, absolutely. But there's something beyond that that gives us a sense that Christ, God Almighty, wants us to have joy much beyond just the positive experience in your life. We'll take one look here at one verse, James 1 2, that says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the test so then a Christian rejoices not only in the positive and the great news and the great things we experience, but also we should rejoice in trials because it's through those trials that God provides and produces strength, consolation, comfort, knowing that he has given us the perseverance that we need in order to stay attached to him. He's given us that exercise of trusting and building more trust upon him, upon his sovereignty, that otherwise, had that trial not been there, we would not be able to exercise. Joy number two, or joy concept number two, is that Jesus gives his joy to believers. We see that in John 15, 11, when Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So let's let's take a few minutes to take a look at what Jesus means by this. And for that, we need to ask ourselves again, what causes us to have joy? As we start to think about that already, we, we can see that if we are honest, our human joy and our human experience of joy really does depend on circumstance. We are naturally wired to be glad and joyful only if our life, our relationships, our circumstances are going according to our plans. And what do our plans typically involve? Again, it's just being real, right? Typically, our plans involve our self-preservation, our self-interest, our well-being, our provision, 
our job, our food, all that is very important, yes. But again, here we are hinting at what the scripture is trying to make us understand that our joy must go beyond that. What if you're stripped of all that? What then? You would never be able to be joyful. Christ would have no hope for you if indeed we are stripped of everything and left with nothing. I can admit that I am joyful because of my family's health, because I have a job, because my love, my wife loves me, because I have two kids that are healthy. I truly do rejoice in that. And maybe some of you can relate, right? That's the reality of our everyday life. But then, even when these things are temporary, and they are temporary, they are blessings, right? We're not denying that they are. But even then, our spiritual life can still be dead, can still be dry. Because that ultimately is superficial. When we take into account the depths of who Christ is, the meaning of eternity, if we focus in the temporal, then the fire of loving God and being known by God is not there. That passion, that hope, that joy. There's some lyrics from a song that is based on Psalm 42 from a, a modern-day author who I highly admire because of his lyrics. We sing some of, some of his songs here. Brian Akelberger. Things that he pronounces last name. He's he's the singer of uh, the band, the church team, who started that band based on their community group. They met during the week, and based on the families that were there in that community group, they started that band. And he's the main songwriter. Um, other uh, Christian bands that I listen to also have recorded several of his songs. But anyways, he wrote this song, um, and the context is. The grief being expressed by the psalmist in Psalm 42, where the psalmist is expressing severe grief due to loss, due to failure, due to being in a place where he seems to have no hope. And it's as if that weren't enough, the psalmist hurts even more when those around him are coming to him and repeatedly asking him, so where is your God, huh? What about all that faith in God and goodness? Like, where's all that? Where did it all go? And nevertheless, the psalmist ultimately takes refuge in God and trust in God. And part of that psalm says that he is addressing that prayer Quote, to the God of my life, the psalmist ultimately goes to God to find comfort. And there's a portion of that lyric based on this psalm that has often reminded me of how in such difficult trials, God's faithfulness and glory are found. Always. I'll quote to you. The paragraph, a few lines here from that lyric that show that it says, 
Let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my, let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my losses show me all I truly have is you. Because I all truly have is you. Right? So yes, many things are important in life. Family, home, job, provision, relationships, etc. But when the day comes that we take our last breath, all that would truly matter will be only and only be one thing. Did you trust in Christ? As we go into the divine court of God, with him as a perfect and holy judge, we must ask, has Christ paid my debt so that I can enter God's kingdom? Or do I plan to pay it myself? It is then under that context, looking to the eternal, that we are reminded that in trials, if, if we are made to be realized that all we truly have is Jesus, we will have joy. Because that's the only thing that will matter in the end. As painful and as difficult as the trials can be. Joy concept number three that we're looking at today. Three and four go together, so we'll kind of do those together. Joy concept number three says that fullness of joy is found only in the presence of God. Very similar to number one. In joy concept number four, experiencing this fullness of joy comes by believing and trusting in Christ. Let us take a look at Psalm 1611, which says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? Again, the concept, concept that in the presence of God, we see this fullness of joy. And then 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So again, experiencing that fullness of joy comes only by believing and trusting in Christ. So then we see that if we put these two concepts together. God's presence produces joy, and the only way we could experience it is by trusting in Christ. We then see that if we enter God's presence and we believe in Christ, we're going to experience that joy, and it is not possible unless God grants it to us. In other words, God needs to know us. It is not sufficient for me to say, I know God. But God has to say, I know you, right? Let's take a quick note here, quick second to uh, really understand this concept. Obviously, God knows everyone. God is sovereign. He's all-knowing. But the scripture talks about very specifically 
that when God says he knows someone in a salvation sense, he's referring only to his children, only to the Christians. The way that I could think of that makes us realize the importance of that is it is not unusual for people in our day and really throughout history to claim that they know someone who is famous or to claim that they're associated with someone that's really important because that will give us a sense of believing, of, of belonging rather, <laughs> sense of importance. And I'll put myself here as an example. In my day, back in college, I claimed this for myself that I knew a very famous band that I followed in the early 2000s. Took pictures with them. Uh, back then, we had MySpace, shared them in MySpace. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. Hung out with them a few times backstage. Even grant, I was granted access to their private suites at the Greek Theater when they played at the Greek Theater in LA. And the next day, a buddy of mine and I drove to San Diego to have that experience all over again. They were playing at some convention center in San Diego. When we got there, we got a little bit greedy. We not only wanted to have the feeling of feeling important, like, oh, we, we know those guys. So this time, not only did we want to go backstage, but we wanted to get the VIP backstage parking. Right, we're taking it a step further. So we pull up to the gate and we show the guard our passes there at the gate and he acknowledges those are real passes. And he just asks a simple question. He says, uh, who are you here with? Or who are you with? To which we had thought about this already, right? So we quickly answered, um, we are with Tony from Q Promotions. And he turned a little bit suspicious. And he was like, hold on. He gets his walkie-talkie and says, uh, Tony, come in. We have a couple of guys here saying they're with you. Oh, no, no. We said, no, 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 no. You know what? Don't worry about it. Tony's busy. We'll just go and park in, in the back, in the regular parking. The reason why we were afraid is because we didn't know Tony. We had obtained a very high level of backstage passes through someone who knew Tony, and we had bought those passes under the table. And that's what we had been granted access to be able to hang out with the band. The point being here that we said we knew someone, we name dropped, and we had no clue who this big shot promoter was. But the real question was, if he were to be asked, when that guard asked him, do you know about these guys, you know them? He would have said no. Maybe not only would, would we not have been granted access, we'd probably been kicked out of the whole event and banned, take our passes away, right? So why all that example, why this illustration? Because this really made me realize the application of knowing God. I can say I know God, but the real question is, does God know me? Will the king let me enter his palace just because I say that I know him? 
Or is the king going to let those in that he knows? See, that's the difference. And when we realize that the king knows us, that should bring us tremendous joy. When we realize that the king will not only let us enter his palace, but that he will say, my child, come and partake of my kingdom. This is yours. That should give us joy. That we are known by the king. Galatians 4, verses 8 and 9 illustrate this. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have become, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves want to be once more. You see that there in the second half? It is not that we know God, but that we are known by God. See, this is the specific difference when Scripture says that God knows only certain people, those that are genuine believers in Him, in Christ. So yes, God knows everyone. He's all knowing. But the specific application of God knowing someone, konosko, which means specifically those that he knows in the salvation sense. It is God then who draws us to himself. It is God who grants us to believe in him. It is God who rescues and saves us from the penalty of sin. It is God who therefore allows us to enter his presence, to know him, and therefore experience the fullness of joy. That's why we rejoice, because we are known by God. This cannot be produced by any human efforts. Rejoicing, having joy, regardless of circumstance, because our hope is in the eternal, not in the temporary. So then let's, let us take a look at the second part of that first verse, in which Paul acknowledges that he's being repetitious. So Philippians 3, 1, the second part, says, To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. A major reoccurrence throughout Scripture is the idea that we as humans are forgetful. We forget, we become complacent, we go on cruise mode control, and we forget over and over and over. So we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that <clears throat> those things that are repeated over and over throughout Scripture, the things that were, for instance, written in the Old Testament, were written for our example so that we can learn from the issues of the saints of old and even of the disobediences of Israel at large. First Corinthians 10, 6 says, now these things, speaking of the Old Testament idolatry, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. 
Right, so we call for these types of reminders. We already showed there how all the references in which Paul encourages the Philippians to rejoice are a major theme, right? Moreover, Paul is about to go in this section about warning the Philippians about false righteousness. In other words, about being careful not to be fake Christians. In that warning, the separation of true believers versus backslidden believers and then versus those that are actually not believers is a constant theme in Scripture as well. I would say very close to the to the concept of who Christ is, very close to the concept of the gospel, the truth of scripture. Very close to that is the warning that comes right after that. After we understand scripture, after we understand who Jesus, who God is, who we are, our need for him. Right after that, specifically the New Testament, just Expound some of that over and over and over. Be careful. Evaluate yourself to see if you're saved. Be careful of those that say are believers or not. That's a constant reminder for us over and over. And that's why Paul, before going to this warning that may sound repetitious, or even what we just saw about him saying that we should have joy, that could be repetitious. What Paul is saying. <clears throat> It is, it is not only an example for us, but it is no trouble for him to keep reminding us of those things. And he says, it's for our safety. It's for the reader's health, spiritual health, to be able to be reminded of those things. And next week, when we look at the remaining two verses of this passage, we're going to see how this warning parallels many of the other warnings in Scripture about true believers versus those that seem to be true believers are actually not true. So then, what have we learned? Right, finally. As we look at this concept of joy. We are commanded to be joyful. We should be reminded that joy is not necessarily happiness. Trials should lead us to seek God's goodness, God's strength, God's provision. Finding refuge in God in the midst of a trial will lead us to praise Him and to have joy regardless of circumstances. As the example in Psalm 42, joy is not dependent on circumstance and Secondly, joy cannot be generated by humans. True joy, everlasting joy, cannot be self-generated. Rather, joy is a gift from God. Just like salvation, just like faith, true joy is a gift from God. Romans 15, 13 reads, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
See that? God is the one who will fill us with all joy and peace. In what? In believing. Believing faith is a prerequisite for us to have joy. Joy is a gift from God. Then that leaves us with the question Are you joyful today? How is your state of rejoicing, of being joyful this very day, this very morning as we hear this message? Some of us may say, Yes, I am joyful. I mean, things are going great in my life. Again, those things are important, right? And it should produce a heart of thanksgiving. In us towards God, always. If those things aren't true, what are those things were stripped away? Are we still joyful? We can grieve, still be joyful. Would that be true? Then we should beware and not have a false assurance of joy, which is dependent on our circumstances. Just ask ourselves. If those things that make me joyful, make me happy, were stripped from me, could in my grief, could I say, I'm still joyful through this trial? I'm still joyful. Can we say that? If we're honest, some of us may say, I'm not joyful, and I know that I am. Even if I want it to be, my life is such that I cannot, I cannot rejoice. My brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in that position this morning, where you think that perhaps little hope of you being joyful, maybe you haven't experienced joy in a while, it is here when then and only then we can realize <coughs> That we truly all we can have is Jesus. This peace. Because, my friends, according to Jesus, you are the very candidate to receive his love, his comfort, his forgiveness, his hope, his salvation, and therefore his joy. The very words of Jesus in Luke 5 30 and 31, he said, Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we are feeling down this morning, if we are feeling like there's no way I can have joy, guess what? You are that person that Jesus came for. Because you are the one who needs a physician. And he says, those are the ones he came. So then we should press towards the goal of rejoicing always in the Lord because of who he is. That doesn't change. It's not circumstantial. Because he has provided a way for us to be righteous before him. That doesn't change. Jesus is who he is. That's not going to change. He has provided forgiveness for us. And to become part of his kingdom. Of him knowing us and saying, Yes, child, come into my everlasting kingdom. That should produce joy in us. 
so that that joy may be made full in us, that you may gift us your joy. We trust that you will, Lord. And may we hold on to that joy this very day. Rest in peace,